you've got to understand your why and the reason and the vision that you're starting aside from just whatever it is that you're selling. The selling should be, or the product itself, the tangible piece of it should just be supporting that larger initiative. Welcome to Franchise Empires, where aspiring entrepreneurs learn exactly what it takes to become a successful franchise owner from one location to 10 and beyond. I'm the Wolf of Franchises. Hey everyone, it's The Wolf. Today on the show, we have Brittany Driscoll. Brittany was a marketing executive for Drybar, a brand that got acquired for $250 million plus. She's now launched Squeeze Massage Therapy with the founders of Drybar and has taken all their learnings from that successful system and are applying it to this new franchise. I think you're gonna learn a lot from this conversation. Enjoy. The Wolf of Franchises is the CEO of Wolfpack Franchising, as well as a creator at Workweek Media. All opinions expressed by the Wolf and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Wolfpack Franchising or Workweek. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. The Wolf, Workweek and Wolfpack Franchising may maintain positions in the franchises discussed on this podcast. This is uh, awesome that you're on the show. You know, I'd love to kind of hear before we get to squeeze, just how, in a nutshell, your journey to founding this franchise started. Yeah, it's honestly super wild because I didn't have entrepreneurship really in my blood and my family. I guess going far enough back, I studied communications in college, which I like to joke is the major you choose when you don't know what you want to do. You just know you (laughs) don't want to take any more math classes or as few as possible. But I got an amazing internship my junior year of college, and I got a chance to jump into marketing. It was experiential marketing at the time. So we were creating events and scaling them across the country. And I just really fell in love with building brand experiences and connecting with people in meaningful ways. And you know, having a lot of fun along the way. And so the first decade of my career was focused in marketing and advertising. And I got a chance to work with brands like Disney, Coca-Cola, Hilton. Mattel was a client of mine for years and years. I actually worked on Barbie and Hot Wheels for several years. So really got to get a sense of what it takes to really build a great brand and disruptive experiences and really powerful messages. And then Drybar came on the scene This was back in 2013, and I just fell in love with it from a consumer standpoint. And they were looking for a head of marketing, so I decided to take all my experience and working with these world-class brands and bring it to, you know, what was a relative startup at the time. Uh, And I was with Drybar for four years, so 2013 to 2017 helped take the company from $30 to over $100 launched over 60 doors, several franchisees, as well as the product line into all the prestige retailers that it exists in today and international expansion. And the Drybar founders always had this other idea for massage. They just didn't have the bandwidth to get it off the ground. And I was itching for a new challenge. So the stars kind of aligned. Amazing. Okay. Wow. Uh, A lot to dive into there. So, all right. So Drybar, that was the Shark Tank brand. What's the founder's name again? Is there one or two? So Allie was actually a shark on Drybar. That's it, yeah. Yes. Um, but Drybar was launched in 2010. And, you know, the insight behind Drybar was there were two, there's a hole in the middle, which is kind of how we see Squeeze also. On one side, there was discount chains. On other ends, there were high-end salons. And nothing was really catering to creating a great 
blowout and just really focusing on styling, which Allie was a hairstylist, a naturally curly-haired girl, uh, and really looking and in search for the perfect blowout. So that's really how Drybar came to be. Funny enough, they opened their first location on San Vicente in Brentwood, and she thought that would be her one little shop, and she'd be able to manage it and pick up her kids from school. And then, of course, you know, Drybar now has 150 locations around the country, $200 million business. So yeah, the time that I was there, it was like right of a lifetime. I mean, really, truly. Yeah, it's um, great timing. You really got on a rocket ship there. I'm sure there's a lot of experience there that like has that you've taken to now apply to Squeeze, which you founded. But yeah, just can you talk about like, what was it like? I mean, going from you said you launched 60 locations in the time you were there, you know, 30 million to 100 million in revenue. I mean, was there ever a point where you guys felt like you were going too fast and that you wouldn't be able to sustain it or support it? You know, I think we were really fortunate that we actually had a lot of, you know, investment and backing behind us at that time. And so when I came on board, really the entire executive team was built out. So we had Danielle Bruno, who ran retail, who came from Apple. She actually worked with Steve Jobs. She had previously been, yeah, she opened the first Apple stores with him, previously been at Pete's. Kim Natali, who ran product, had an incredible background, actually helped to launch Shellac Nails, which most women would know, and kind of, you know, really like disruptors in their own rights um, in a lot of ways. And then John Hefner was the CEO. And so, you know, I think, and then we brought in, you know, a CIO and a CFO. And so it was really kind of the point in time where we had a lot of strong leadership and people who really understood the vision and were committed to building out teams and processes and systems to really get it on the rocket ship. So, you know, there's certainly never a dull moment when you're opening a shop, what felt like a week, it probably wasn't that much at that time, but it was a lot of fun, you know, and I always go back to this this idea that if there's a really big vision and the right people and the right positions that are committed to it, really like anything is possible. And that was truly the case at Drybar. I mean, we all kind of just like bled buttercup yellow. And the other thing too, that I will say, and this kind of dovetails into squeeze too, at Drybar, we always used to say that we weren't selling blowouts. We were selling the happiness and confidence that came with a blowout because when you look good, you feel good. And when you feel good, you can take on the world. So I think we all took a lot of pride in being you know, part of women's lives in really meaningful ways. And we're really just committed to kind of disrupting the space. No, I love that, especially what you said about, I think a lot of businesses focus a lot on like their product or service specifically, but not necessarily like the value add that a customer gets from it. And I spend a lot of time on Twitter and there's this like, it's almost a cliche on Twitter at this point, but everyone likes to say like Nike is selling the vision that anyone can be an athlete. Shopify selling the vision that anyone could be a direct-to-consumer entrepreneur. And there's like a few other marquee examples, but I like the way that it kind of sounds like that's what you were doing at Drybar too. That's right. I mean, that actually reminds me, Seth Godin is one of my favorite, you know, marketers and business minds of today. And he has this great quote that says, people do not buy goods and services, they buy relations, stories and magic. And I do really believe that, you know, to build a great brand and a sustainable business, you've got to understand your why and the reason and the vision that you're starting aside from just whatever it is that you're selling, the selling should be or the product itself, the tangible piece of it should just be supporting that larger initiative. Because quite frankly, too, I mean, we're in the service industry, both Drybar was in the service industry, Squeeze is in the service industry. So we've, we're selling people's time at the end of the day, you know, we need people to rally around really a bigger idea. And, you know, they want to feel like they're part of something bigger. Definitely. And so I guess diving into Squeeze now, you said you ended your time at Drybar around 2017. So like, what was that transition like? Uh, did you raise money to launch Squeeze or? 
We did. So, you know, I was itching for a new challenge. I honestly didn't know what I wanted to do. But Michael and Ali, who are the founders of Drybar, had always really talked about wanting to do something in the massage space. Because similarly, we view the landscape discount chains on one end, which I always like to say to their credit, made massage accessible to the masses. On the flip side, you had high-end hotels and spas, really nothing that brought in that luxury experience at an affordable price point, which, you know, we did quite well at Dry Bar. And we had the architectural minds and the creative minds to really do that and create a disruptive brand in the space. But beyond that, you know, there was just the headache and the frustration of the current experience, which was things like having to call individual locations, having to remember if you liked a certain therapist, you know, having to keep track of all your personalized preferences so that you're making sure you're actually communicating them down to the massage is done, you're in a relaxed state of mind, and you're having to wait in a clunky checkout line, you know, people are trying to upsell you on things, they're asking you about tipping. So it's like, the whole point of why you went in is kind of lost in that moment. And so that's really what squeeze is, is just trying to solve for those pain points in the experience. We've built out an end-to-end platform that enables our guests to do everything from book an appointment, set all those personalized preferences down to once you're done, you literally float out, uh, you rate, tip and review at your leisure on your phone. We like to say guests walk in and float out. So yeah, you know, I mean, they really had the idea. I loved it. I was an avid massage goer, you know, really felt like it was a big opportunity to take this idea and and make it into something really special. Yeah. That I well, I love the the tipping aspect, just especially because like I remember the first time I got a massage, I didn't like I wasn't aware of like how do I tip? Do I leave it on the table? Do I hand it to them? Do I give it to the front desk and they handle it? And like but then is the masseuse gonna actually get the full cut? Right. So yeah, it sounds like you've you've integrated a lot of technology to the whole suite of the offering. Yeah, you know, and to that point, too, there's other elements of the business that are beneficial, not only for the guests, but the therapist, you know, the tipping as an example, like our therapists see higher tips at squeeze, because we're able to create those selections for people that we all know what the Uber and Postmates experiences, it's easier to tap than, you know, to click in and put a specific number. But there's also other things like we have a ready button on the table. So you as the guest, when you're on the table ready for the therapist to reenter, you just hit a button, a light turns on outside of the door, therapist knows to re-enter. So, you know, it's not that like hurry up and wait scenario. You don't feel like you're wasting time, if you will, but you also don't feel rushed. It's great for the therapists. As you can imagine, they've had a lot of awkward experiences in their careers. Uh, We also have six different music playlists that you can choose from, everything from the traditional Zen to waves to island music. We have holiday playlists during that season. So, you know, really just trying to cater to like a very personalized experience um, and one that's really thoughtful. You know, I think that's the other thing about Drybar. Drybar was so thoughtful kind of in every moment of the guest experience. And I always like to think that it's one of those things that if those things didn't exist, you wouldn't know any different. But because they do, it's like, wow, someone actually took the time to really think about how I would feel in this moment and how my comfort really matters. And so we've tried to do that in every point of the squeeze experience. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I want to talk about, because I can, I haven't been to that many, like, I haven't gotten that many massages in my life, though. I did play soccer through college, so maybe it would have been beneficial. Yes, you need you need to incorporate that into your wellness uh, routine. <laughs> I know, I know. It's good for the blood flow and recovery and all, all that. All the things, yeah. yes. But you talk about kind of like dry bar and squeeze both fill this hole in the middle of, uh, I guess, like what the market's currently offering. So when it comes to like massage franchises, 
I'm pretty sure like Massage Envy was kind of the first one to really blow it all open. And then you got, you know, places like Elements. There's a whole, there's really, a, there's a decent amount, right? You got between Massage Envy, Elements, you know, I'm pulling up a list here. Uh, Hand in Stone is another one. Like, do you view those as more of like the discount chains that made it accessible? And obviously then there's like the premium mom and pop, probably individual offerings. Yeah, definitely. You know, and, and I do like to say to their credit, they made massage a regular routine experience for Americans. But I think, you know, I like to think about Squeeze, what Uber did for transportation, what Postmates did for food delivery, what Airbnb did for hospitality. You know, we're taking an ingrained experience and we are we're meeting consumers where they want to be today. You know, we're really, truly making it catered to their experience. But I would say beyond just that, there's so many learnings that we got to take from Driver. You know, we use the same creative team, the same architect. We've built out operational processes and protocols. Our technology is all based on hindsight, which again, you know, is very much to the benefit of our operating partners and just the system on the whole. But I would say, you know, the core differentiation I I believe for Squeeze, it's actually what got me the most excited to start the company is our people and how we treat our people, how we build our culture. I realized in doing, so I did actually quite a bit of research in the space before I like jumped in with Michael and Allie because starting something from scratch like wasn't necessarily what I was thinking I was going to do. Yeah. But the more I looked into it, you know, I realized demand for massage is relatively endless. Like we all need it. There's enough bodies to go around for, you know, all the, the companies that you just mentioned. But but really, I felt like there was a piece missing in the industry, and that was a focus on the therapist and their experience. And so we did a ton of research on, you know, the therapist experience as it exists today and incorporated a lot of what their pain points were into our employee experience the same way that we incorporated what our guest pain points were into how we created the guest experience at Squeeze. And, you know, that goes back to, I mentioned some of them already, you know, the ability for us to dictate the tipping experience for guests all the way, you know, the ready light I mentioned as well. But, you know, I mean, take it higher up. It's like compensation. We're competitive from that standpoint. We offer health benefits, flexible schedules, free massages for our therapists but also like a truly transparent and communicative culture. We really do have platforms and ways for the team to provide direct feedback to us on a regular basis. They feel connected to management, which I feel like is a core component that's often missing in retail in general. You know, people are going in, they're the front lines, and they kind of don't feel like they have that access. So there's really a lot that we've done to focus on that side of the business. It's the thing I'm most proud of, the thing I'm most excited about as we scale. So... Yeah, I love that. It sounds like not only that you guys have focused on the external customer experience, but also like I call internal customer experience, like what you're doing for your employees. So that's great to hear. So when you started this, right, you guys obviously had all this experience from Drybar. You know, what, I guess, how far out was your like planning? Meaning, did you start it with like, okay, we're going to found it this year by two years from there, we're going to start franchising and you know, by X year, we're going to get to this many units, you know, like, what did that kind of roadmap look like for you? Yeah, it's interesting. We when I look back on it, and we kind of knew it in the time, but it's just one of those things you're like in it and going, we were really launching a brick and mortar experience and a technology business at the same time. So it was a wild ride and took us about 18 months from concept to launch. So we started in, you know, late 2017, we opened our flagship door in March of 2019. And during that time, we really evaluated 
what direction we wanted to go to scale. Drybar at the time when I left was about 70% corporate owned. And there were a lot of learnings that we took from that in wanting to franchise, you know, I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, operate, we call our franchisees operating partners, again, kind of going back to this bigger mission of really like, connecting with people, truly going into it as a partnership, wanting to make sure they feel supported across the board, um, and also empowered. But it was things like operating partners, just manage their business better. They were, they had skin in the game, they were more connected to their teams, they knew their communities better, even down to real estate. It's like they knew what side of the street was better to have a location in. Whereas, at, again, at Drybar, as we started scaling and we we're moving on to location number 100, it was like, well, you know, we don't necessarily know those, the intricacies of communities. So there's a lot of reasons that we chose to franchise. But I would say that during the building that 18 month period, we really evaluated which direction we wanted to go. And I'll tell you, I mean, it was so much about what we learned at Drybar, but it was also for me, there's two things. One, I actually had a great piece of advice someone shared with me early on. They basically said, you know, if you want to run an HR and operations heavy business, open corporate owned doors. If you want to run a sales and marketing business, franchise. And for me, you know, my experience was in marketing. My experience is in people. My experience is in building great brands and experiences. And so, you know, that was a key, like, piece of advice that really made me realize like, oh, we should go in this direction. And then the other was also, you know, this is my first entrepreneurial experience. I really loved the idea of giving other people the chance to experience building a brand like this and creating this experience in their communities. It's really truly like such a special thing. I always like to talk about Squeeze in that you know, on one side, our guests that come to us, like it's the best hour to hour and a half of their day that they're choosing to spend with us. You think about the chaos and everything else that is going on in people's lives. Yeah. Hour to hour and a half that they're with us. It's like, this is their reprieve. You know, this is their happy, they're safe, they're quiet, they're, you know, enjoyable space. And then on the flip side, you have massage therapists who have literally gone to school to help and heal people. You know, they have dedicated their lives to truly improving others. And so you combine those two things together and just the space feels magical. Like the energy that exists around it is truly really special. So it's like, for me, I was like, well, I would love to give more people the chance to have this opportunity. Definitely. No, I mean, that's like, in a nutshell, I think why franchising is great. And it can be such a powerful model when it's used like in the right way, in the way that you're talking about. Because yeah, yeah. I mean, the best franchises are wealth creators, right for their franchisees at the end of the day, and also like experience positive experience creators too. Right. Well, that and community builders too, right? Yeah. Because it's like the ability to build a business with a group of like-minded people that are doing it around the country and having learnings and challenges and you're doing it all together. I mean, I can even say for myself as we were building Squeeze, I was like, man, I would love to talk to someone who's like doing this. And I mean, I thankfully had a really great network because of Drybar, but I just love the idea that for our operating partners, they've got each other too. You know, they can bounce ideas off. They can help our system be better. You know, that's the other thing too, that I talk a lot with our operating partners through the discovery process is, you know, we have built, while we are an emerging brand, we've built an established system. You know, I think that we are set up very well to support our, our operating partner success, but we're open to feedback. You know, we want to know what's working and what's not and ideas and just ways to, again, like collectively help each other. Yeah, and you know, you said something that's interesting, which is maybe a little counterintuitive to what some people think, which is that going the franchising route 
is actually a little bit more risky in terms of like things like quality control. But I feel like you were saying based on your experience with Drybar being predominantly corporate owned that there's actually a positive element to franchising where they enforce standards maybe higher because of the skin, the fact that they have skin in the game. Exactly. You know, I mean, it's 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 not even comparable to say that you're hiring, you know, a manager for however much, you know, a year, depending on where you are in the country compared to someone who's investing hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, into their business. Absolutely. And I think people take such great pride in these types of businesses, too. You know, they really are serving the community. They're also a part of a great brand. So yeah, there were, you know, there are certainly a lot of those takeaways that we took with us. Yeah, no, it's interesting. It's a common thing I hear, too. And like, there's some big brands out there, especially in the food space, that they refuse to franchise because they're like, oh, no, we need to make sure our stores perform well and, and are, uh, you know, have uh, the standards that we want. But I mean, you're dead right. Like, <laughs> If someone puts hundreds of thousands of dollars into a business and they have someone who's saying this is the playbook that is going to help you succeed the most, like they have no incentive to deviate from it as long as you're picking, you know, the right partner and someone who has the right personality to follow the directions. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And I think that that is like one of the core pieces of franchising too, that we really did, you know, have to challenge ourselves with the dry bar experiences, you know, in order to be a successful franchisor, you really do have to have like systems locked down processes down to like the nth degree and the detail behind it. I mean, our, our operations manual is 475 pages long at squeeze and growing, you know, we have a full digital learning management system that we've built out to support our operating partners. And that is because, you know, we want them to be successful, but franchising ultimately doesn't work if you don't have kind of the paint by numbers step by step, which sometimes can be very difficult for organizations. Yeah you know, at scale to kind of implement. So that's why we chose like to be very focused and solely go franchising at Squeeze. Yeah. And I mean, zooming out here a little bit, like forget like the industry, just if someone's intending on founding a business that they're going to franchise, what advice would you have? Because I think a common thing I see is a brand that, you know, a business owner who Maybe they have a food, you know, some restaurant or a gym or whatever the case, you know, whatever the business is. From day one, they want to franchise it, but they go too quickly before they have things figured out. So, like, is there a certain point at which, you know, you would say, like, you need to hit XYZ KPIs before you should really franchise your business? Yeah, I think there's a few things. You know, one is you definitely need to have a proven concept and model. And by that, you need to demonstrate that you can build a profitable business and one that is attractive to people with all of the, you know, franchise fees that are accounted for within, you know, whatever it is that you're doing. So that's one. It's like give yourself enough time to prove out the model. You know, for us, we chose to open one location in franchise because the massage industry is so established. But, you know, if you're doing something newer or, you know, not as well known, then, you know, it might take a few iterations of whether it's a brick and mortar or whatever, you know, service that you're building to really prove that out. So that's one thing. The other, again, just going back to the idea of franchise being a business in a box, it's if it's not easily transferred, if knowledge isn't easily transferred, if it's not easily replicated by someone else, then you probably don't have a business that can be franchised. Like if you as the founder or your core team is like, 
you know, the secret sauce and there's no way that someone else can do what you guys are doing, like that's probably not a franchisable business because really, you know, it comes down to, and this is what we challenged ourselves with too at Squeeze, like every decision that we made, we had, you know, operating partner number 489 in mind. Like if they, if someone in Oklahoma can't do this as well as we're doing it here and or it's not going to make sense, et cetera, then we challenged ourselves to do it better. So it's like, I think that honestly is the biggest piece to understanding if your business is good for franchising or not. And so it's like really kind of poking holes at that. And then of course, like from a very high level, it's like, get a good lawyer, get a good accountant. You got to have the FDD. Um, You certainly need to also understand what the total investment is for someone. You know, you want to set these people up for success. And to your point, it's like, don't, you know, don't go too quickly. You definitely want to have a few great proofs of concepts and validators in the system. For sure. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's definitely a, a big nuance and maybe something people don't realize, which is it's actually in your best interest, right? To go a little slow at the beginning, because if you do go too fast and then you have franchisees that aren't performing well, now all of a sudden, like you have, you have people in the system that aren't necessarily going to be selling the concept for prospective buyers. Right. And actually, one other thing I just thought of going back to kind of our initial topic in conversation is really make sure you understand the type of people that you want to be representing your brand and your product because franchising is a marriage. You know, it's a 10 year, yeah. hopefully more relationship. And you really want to understand, again, what you're selling beyond the actual product. What is the vision for the company? What are people really buying into in this community? And then, you know, do those people align with your values and really like hold true to that? I think that that is such a, you know, a misstep in franchising too, is just kind of like taking a check if someone can sign one and give it to you, especially in the beginning when you're building and you're kind of trying to get momentum. But, you know, I'm I'm really such a believer that like, if you've got the long game in mind, you got to like hold to that in the beginning. And sometimes that can be really hard. Yeah, it could definitely be tough. I get both sides of it, but I'm I fully agree with you. You know, just selling a franchise to anyone who can write a check. Like it's the first few are the hardest, right? Because there is no a big part of the value out of a franchise, as we've been talking about, right? Is like that there's a proven playbook. But at the beginning, right, it's like, okay, you have a few corporate locations. Why should I buy this brand versus some brand that has, I don't know, 100 or 200 or just more proof of concept? So it's always riskiest at the beginning. But obviously, like, Every single brand, even McDonald's, started with one location. So that, that's just how it goes. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, well, I guess it's just, you know, it's, I feel like we live in a world today with social media and, you know, everyone kind of thinks that success happens overnight and that it's not incredibly hard work, but it, it is. I mean, it is daunting and overwhelming and exhausting, um, you know, to kind of hold true to something that you, you know, you really believe can be big and meaningful. I mean, nothing great comes easy. And I, you know, I've certainly learned that myself too. I mean, we're going into year five at this point. I mean, we certainly had the the momentary blip of a pandemic in our story, but, you know, even still it's, you know, building something intentional takes a lot of time. Definitely. I completely agree. And even, I mean, for me, I've been more focusing on content stuff, but yeah, like it takes time and anything worth doing takes a lot of time. But so you've been at it for five years, and I know you said the first location launched, right, in March 2019. 
what was launch day like? What was the next year like? And where was that first location built? Yeah. So we launched in Los Angeles in Studio City on Ventura Boulevard. I actually lived in Studio City at the time. So it was awesome. Again, you know, kind of using that idea of a franchisee or operating partner. It was like in my community. I knew the local business community. And yeah, so we launched in March of 2019. And we were actually open for 11 months before the world had different plans for us. So it was, you know, but it the, the first 11 months were amazing. I would say we learned so much. But we and still to this day, really like the core elements of the business, the foundational aspects of our experience are still intact. You know, I, I would say that we learned a lot about people management. Again, it was it going back to even with all the experience I had at Drybar, it was still the first time that I was actually like managing a location, overseeing people, learning how to, you know, the dynamics of all of that. And really also just learning how to ingratiate yourself to the community, working with other business owners. But that's what I loved so much. And that's what got me like so excited about franchising was it's so awesome. Again, we go back to this world that we live in. We're like all on our phones, screens all the time. It's so nice to actually like connect with people in person. And I think even now, you know, post pandemic, it's we're living in a world where that's even more needed. So I would say that the first year was just it was fun. It was overwhelming. There were certainly, you know, moments in time where it was exhausting and hard. But the long and short of it during that time, we were really focused on like sophisticating and honing in on our processes for franchising because we knew again, it's like everything that we were doing, someone else was going to have to do somewhere else. And so um, really just like working on the documentation, building up the team. And then Again, our story is we were open for 11 months. During that 11 months, generated over a million and a half in revenue, had a thousand members, really Damn. strong EBITDA. Y- yeah. And again, like the we were just starting to sell uh, or award franchises. And I keep wanting to say more of that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but because uh, back to our point, it really is about that, like finding the right people. And so we had awarded actually like a three pack in Denver. And I remember we had our last discovery day, like the week before March 16th or whatever that date was when the world shut down. And we there was like six people about to sign. And it was so exciting. And then all of a sudden, you know, our world changed. And we were shut down for basically an entire year because we were in Los Angeles and Los Angeles being, the, you know, the strictest of all the protocols and guidelines. And then, you know, it took about a year beyond that to build back because of all of the capacity restrictions, et cetera. And now, you know, we're at the point where we have 50 locations in development. Scottsdale and Nashville will be our first franchise locations. They're actually opening in a couple of months here. Nice. And then we'll have, you know, 15 to 20 openings next year and hoping to continue to build upon that. I mean, our vision is definitely hundreds of units around the country because I do really truly believe the opportunity to disrupt this space is is a massive opportunity. Yeah, that's super exciting. So congrats on that. I mean, 50 locations uh, in development in, in what is like kind of the redo of year one of awarding franchises. Uh, that's no small feat. It is not. Yeah. Rebuilding, Think of, you think about anything like, you know, health and wellness, et cetera. It's like rebuilding momentum is so much harder than even starting. Yes. And so it really has been like a, a lesson in perseverance and, you know, just pushing through. But I go back to like, we really have a big vision for Squeeze. You know, we know what our why is. We know what the bigger purpose is, even beyond 
massage. So our vision is to transform communities for good. And one of our values is called the feel good revolution. And I always like to say revolution is a big word for one little four walled box on Ventura Boulevard in Studio (laughs) City. But it goes back to like what our vision ultimately is, which is to make our small, but hopefully meaningful impact on people. And one of the ways that we've also done that from the outset is we've partnered with an organization called Canine Companions. And for every um, membership that we sell at Squeeze, we're helping to provide a day of support to a person, child, or veteran with a disability. And again, you know, it's just like our small little way, both consumers know that and our employees know that. And so it's just not only are we making people feel good, but we're doing good at the same time. So that's uh, fantastic. Yeah, I love that. It's, again, it goes back to like what we said, right, where like the franchises can just be so powerful. And not only are you impacting someone who owns the business as the franchisee, but also like the community in what you're doing and having that consistent like playbook done for it. It's just amazing to see. Thank you. And, and I'm curious, like, so how many, uh, I guess between the 50, so how many franchisees are making that up? And yeah. it's more of like, I guess, a difference of strategy and approach. Um, but, you know, there's some franchises that prefer one unit, one location. Yeah. Uh, which I have my thoughts on. I think that hinders the growth of the entrepreneur personally. But uh, I agree with that. So we actually have 51 right now and 20 operating partners. So 51 units, 20 operating partners. So yeah, so the majority of our operating partners have multiple units. I agree with you, you know, from a strategic standpoint, that's definitely our hope and goal is that we are partnering with multi-unit operators who really want to establish, you know, a presence in their community. Not only does it help them, you know, just continue to increase uh, awareness, but also operationally, you know, leveraging the team across multiple locations, etc. So that's the goal. Beautiful. And you know, I had a few weeks ago, or probably over a month ago at this point, I had two Massage Envy franchisees on in the past season, uh, where we were interviewing multi-unit franchise owners. They had mentioned that they actually launched like in tandem with their Massage Envy franchises, a school for massage therapists to basically help them with their pipeline. So do you see like anything, like do you guys have any plans to do something, Not maybe not launch your own school, but just, I guess what I'm asking is more of how are you approaching labor? Because uh, they seem to indicate that it could be difficult depending on where you're located. Yeah, I think the massage school's angle is a really interesting one. And I think as we grow, you know, there's going to be a lot of different considerations that we have and whatnot. But from a recruiting standpoint, you know, I'll kind of go back to, the culture and really what we've done to create, you know, we say a way better uh, massage experience on the guest standpoint, but I also like to say, you know, it's a way better employee experience for the massage therapist. And just going back to, you know, kind of all of those things that I listed previously, you know, really just trying to make sure to focus on communicating our intention in the human experience, right? I mean, at the end of the day, we, one, massage therapists are empaths to the nth degree. You know, they care deeply. And life is really hard. I mean, I would say that, like, for us, it's about connecting with the massage therapist to know that we're going to be, you know, with them through the ups and the downs. We see them as people. I really challenge our team to focus first and foremost on celebrating and valuing our team for who they are as individuals and then for the contribution that they're making to the company. So we focus a lot on 
on our values. We focus a lot on, you know, again, the good that we're doing to the community beyond just our four walls through our partnership with Canine Companions. And then also, you know, all the perks, again, that I mentioned previously, but we do other things to, again, kind of give back to our team. We do a lot of personal and professional development. We invest in their continued education. And then also one thing I didn't mention in part of our research in interviewing massage therapists in the industry before we launched, we've actually designed our, we call our massage room suites. We've actually designed our suites with the intention of the therapist comfort. So like we pad the carpets, there's a full dedicated therapist working station that has all of their supplies laid out for, you know, exactly what they need to do their, their job in in the best of their ability. Uh, We have a very, you know, positive culture. So all that to say that, you know, we're in the people industry. And so we really focus on the people side of it from a recruiting standpoint. No, that's great. And yeah, I really even think like there's kind of that dual sided aspect where things that you're doing that makes the customer's life easier. I can see why that would make the massage therapist's life a lot easier, like the button thing that you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. I think you said it, that there's probably some awkward situations that happen. So like that's like such a simple thing, but it probably just makes like takes a mental load off of the massage therapist. A hundred percent. Well, and even capturing all of our guest preferences. So again, we capture everything from areas of the body you want focused on, what you want avoided, if you want more or less pressure, it's all saved to the guest profile and the therapist reviews it prior to the experience. So it's like they know already the expectation of the guests before they're even walking in the door. They're not going to be caught off guard. There's no surprises, you know, so it it's empowering for them too. You know, I think that that's a, a core piece of it as well. I'm not like super experienced with this stuff. Uh, Other massage franchises and just one-off locations, that's not happening, it sounds like. I think that preference intake happens in a variety of ways across the board, but certainly there's no other franchise out there that has an end-to-end technology platform that is allowing for Booking an appointment, which I should mention too, you know, in our booking process, which doesn't happen in most places, we have therapist bios, we have guest ratings, we have guest ratings and reviews. That was really important to us from a consumer standpoint. It's like, we all know people trust people more than they trust brands. So we really wanted other people to be able to read reviews on each massage therapist. It's also a great quality control mechanism that we have on the back end from an operational standpoint for our operating partners and general managers to, you know, coach uh, therapist, you know, that's one piece that we've really realized is pretty powerful and just maintaining the standards that we have across the board. So yes, you know, that's just kind of a few other pieces. Well, wrapping up here. So you've got a 50, 51 locations sold. Is there a, an end goal from like a business standpoint? You know, I, I'm not sure what happened with Drybar if that's still owned by primarily Alley or, or was there an acquisition? Like, do you guys have an idea of, of what you think you want to have happen? Yeah, you know, I think that we definitely want to get to scale. We want Squeeze to be, you know, the best in class massage choice for both guests and employees. You know, I think the idea of acquisition is an interesting one. I think for me, the most important piece is that we're maintaining quality and culture. I think that that's ultimately what, you know, makes a brand great. It's what makes a brand sustainable. And I want to really hold true to that for our operating partners. You know, they've come into the system believing in what we're doing. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But we're definitely focused on building a brand that's going to be around for a very long time. Amazing. Well, uh, it sounds like you're on the right path and uh, I'm excited to watch it. So yeah, well, look, thanks for coming on the show. Is there anywhere, you know, online, whether it's LinkedIn, Twitter, et cetera, uh, where people can follow along your journey? 
Yes. So squeezemassage.com slash franchising is where you can go to learn more if you're interested in that. And then I would just say Instagram at squeeze is probably the best place to follow along with our growth, to learn more about our culture and just the brand itself. Beautiful. All right. And yeah, we'll plug that Instagram handle in the show notes as well as the website. But uh, yeah, look, Brittany, thanks again for coming on and we'll talk soon. Thanks so much for having me, Wolf. Thanks for listening to Franchise Empires. We're coming to you soon with actionable insights to take the next step on your franchise journey. So make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen.